Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that why is was not first good. Home so what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. I hope you're all having a wonderful week. I love this time of the year where it's like June and summery and just a lot of fun. I hope you're enjoying a rosé on a rooftop as you're listening to this. Our guest today is a really entertaining one, really interesting and very informative. Olivia Armitrano is an herbalist, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a podcast host. She has struggled with physical and mental health throughout her entire life was on a long list of medications and eventually turned to herbalism and traditional Chinese medicine, which helped her heal. You're going to hear all about her healing journey in this episode, but she's kind of making plant medicine mainstream. I really wanted to talk to her because I think the idea of more traditional modalities and forms of healing seem like very woo-woo to people or like pseudoscience and at the very least overwhelming, which I completely get. I've been there Olivia does a really amazing job of combining science with traditions like herbalism and explains why they work, how you can heal, and the science behind holistic healing, which I think is extremely helpful, but it's also in a very approachable way because you guys know I never liked science in school. I'm not going to love it now. I was excited to talk to Olivia because I've been through my own version of a healing journey. I hate the word journey, but for lack of a better word... I struggled with really bad periods for years. I had awful anxiety and panic attack disorder, awful gut symptoms. I was never comfortable. And yes, I've been on medications before like SSRIs and antibiotics and oral birth control, which all helped to manage my symptoms. There are a time and place for these things. But it wasn't until I lifted the hood, if you will, and prioritized my joy and my fulfillment over everything else. And I looked into using things like fruits and vegetables and herbs as medicine that I really felt healed from the root. This is kind of what holistic medicine means. It means looking at the whole picture instead of treating symptoms individually. I think most of us, especially women, and a lot of our readers and listeners that I've connected with are dealing with chronic illness, whether it's migraines, irregular periods, IBS, fatigue, anxiety, acne. I mean, we're all dealing with something, guys. And I think what Olivia shares in this episode will immensely help you, especially if you're like where I was and you felt exhausted getting no answers and finding no relief. Before we dive in, of course, as always, anything you hear on this podcast is not meant to be medical advice. Find a doctor that you connect with, who listens to you, and always see a doctor. Talk to them about what you hear in this episode if you're curious and how it can relate to your healing journey, but always have a team of medical professionals around you. Now that we have that disclosure out of the way, please welcome Organic Olivia to the Every Girl Podcast. 
Wait, so your wedding is in two weeks? It's in it's in like 23 days. So 23 days? It's like three, How three are you issues. feeling? Are you freaking out yet? I mean, my body's like a little unwell. I think the stress, like I keep getting congested and a little cold and whatnot. So <clears throat> I think my body is like, <laughs> okay, this is insane. And I also um, have found that so much comes up when you're getting married. Like family stuff, grief, the current situation of friendships, relationships, even things in your relationship that you need to deal with. I think marriage is such a sacred commitment that it brings to the forefront so many things in your life. And so it's a good chance to face a lot of things head on and kind of do a life audit. That's interesting. Okay, wait. So how are you doing a life audit? I know we're like, before we even like get to the (laughs) interview part, I'm dying to know like, what, what does that mean for you? What have you been doing? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think it started around the time that I was planning. So like a year and a half ago, because I I think once you're faced with putting together your guest list, even you sort of have this entire list of everyone in your life that means something to you. And there's not many other times in life when you have to have all of that in front of you in writing on a piece of paper. And so then you start to check in with, okay, how often am I actually connecting with this person? You know, how how are these relationships? Okay, I'm inviting these people from college to my wedding that mean a lot to me, but how often do I actually take time to intentionally you know, cultivate a long lasting relationship with them. How are my relationships with my friends doing? Like all of these different things. And so I think I, I did a big relationship overhaul once I had the guest list in front of me. And I realized that I could be putting a lot more time into relationships, friendships, and social connection versus just being like, I need to work. I have this business. I am an entrepreneur and like making those sorts of excuses. And then it also, I think, brings forth grief if there is such with aging parents and especially if parents have health issues. So my mom is pretty sick. She's in the later stages of Alzheimer's. And so of course, like her presence at my wedding is going to be very different from what my younger self imagined it would be. And so I had to um, face head on a lot of that anticipatory grief that one feels when they realize their parents own mortality sort of. And so I've been able to access that and work through that a lot in therapy in ways that I don't think I would have if there wasn't this major milestone. I would have just continued to pretend that everything was fine. And then again, for the couple, I think each of you have to sort of face where you are as a woman, where you are as a man, as you step into this union and take on the identity of wife and husband. And am I where I want to be as a person? What do I need from my partner to be the best human I can be in this life. And I think it can it can bring up relationship issues that are under the surface, especially if you've been together for a really long time. So it got my fiance and I to go deeper into couples therapy and dig up some past resentments and learn how to communicate in a different way. And it also pushed us to each work on ourselves as individuals and continue to cultivate independence and make the mark that each of us wanted to make in the world. And it helped us to break some codependency even that I think we had in our relationship. So a lot. It's it's not just like happiness. <laughs> that totally makes sense that all these things come up. And I'm sorry to hear about your mom. I, I'm sure that like it does put it, uh, this weird twist on the wedding process that you did not anticipate. Yeah, I think it definitely puts things in perspective. It helped me, yeah, to really grieve um, in a way that, of course, when she passes, I'll have to grieve in a different way. But I think that if I hadn't done any grieving and then all of a sudden she passed, it would be 
too much of a shock in my system. So this allowed me to kind of grieve versions of her or like even a relationship that we never got to have because our relationship was strained when I was younger. So it helped me to go deeper into that and also to access my own sort of like internal mother, like to help mother myself and be there for myself in those ways. I had a chance to sort of write letters to myself as my internal mother of like, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you and kind of cultivate that part within me and be there for myself in a deeper way. So I think it made me have a much stronger self-relationship and it's the reality of life. And it, it also helped me empathize with and be there for friends who had lost their parents and just understand life and death in a deeper way. I have never heard, I've heard of like, you know, writing from your inner child, writing to your inner child, but I've never heard of your inner mother. I'm so interested in that. I'm sure that felt very healing to identify that inner mother within you. I think we all have um, a really powerful inner parent, you know, a blend of like our own masculine and feminine energies and can be there for ourselves in different ways. And that's the part of us that will come out if we so choose to be mothers in the world in the future. And that's, it's always within us and we can always access that and parent ourselves and give ourselves the validation and the comfort and the forgiveness that maybe our parent couldn't give us because they didn't have the tools to or their own internal nervous system safety at the time. They didn't know how to model regulation and forgiveness and comfort. So I think it's important to get in touch with that side of yourself. Otherwise, we'll seek it in others. We'll even seek it in relationship. We'll look to our partners maybe to to parent us or to meet some needs that weren't met for us in childhood, or we'll kind of even play out similar woundings or dynamics in hope of coming to a resolution. And that can be very dysfunctional. So I think when you get in touch with your own inner mother or inner parent, you give yourself a chance to close that loop so that you're not playing that out in your relationships and friendships. Oh my God, this is already so good. I'm like, my mind's a little like, woo. Okay, Olivia. Well, welcome to the Evergirl podcast. We like just got right into it. I didn't even do the introductions. So let's just, I mean, we're already diving right in, which I love it. I knew that this conversation was going to like be so, so freaking good. So I love that we're already off the bat. Like you have so much to share. To give the audience some context, I would love for you to share your entire health journey. So let's start with What were your first experiences or your first kind of like knowledge with health? When did you start having your struggles? Yeah, I always had a slew of health issues, you know, growing up. I I remember my parents having to sneak antibiotics into like Wendy's cheeseburgers because I (laughs) would not take pills and I was too old for the pink amoxicillin liquid. And I was always taking some kind of antibiotic for an infection, just very chronically ill. I think a lot of that antibiotic usage that was kind of over overprescribed in the 90s a bit and still is somewhat overprescribed messed with my gut really heavily and so when i was in my teens i developed or you know started to have symptoms of ibs irritable bowel syndrome and so i had really really severe painful cramping and spasming especially when i would eat certain foods that i started to notice And I also had really intensive um, cystic acne. And I still have scars and like keloids all over my back from that cystic acne. It was really intense on my back and on my face. I would notice that my digestive symptoms and my cysts and also my mental health struggles, I had a lot of anxiety and depression, but they would all sort of cyclically flare up at the same time. And then I would also notice that when I would go on antibiotics for my acne, I would be prescribed something like doxycycline for my acne. And as my acne would temporarily get better, 
my gut symptoms would start to calm down and my digestion would get a little bit better on these antibiotics and my anxiety would feel a little bit better. And so I started to think to myself that all of this stuff was connected. And this was well before the land of wellness and Instagram and gut health. Like gut health was not a term. The microbiome was not a thing. I mean, I'm sure it was to like the early scientists who were starting to look at this and catalog our microbiome, but not to the general public. And so I kept saying to my doctors, like, I just know that my digestive symptoms, my IBS and my skin are connected. It's all this one thing This I was thinking very holistically. And I would always kind of just get laughed out of the office and, you know, put on another medication. I was on antispasmodics for IBS. Again, I was on a lot of different antibiotics for skin. I was on some antidepressants, which I never really responded well to. I wish that I did. And I know that they're quite successful for many people. But for me, SSRIs just were not able to help my type of depression. So I was just kind of testing all these pharmaceuticals and just was on so many from such a young age. And I finally got to the point where I was so fed up and I decided to dig in and try to find my own answers. And I asked my gastroenterologist after my, you know, fourth colonoscopy that uh, you know if certain foods could perhaps be triggering my IBS because I would notice when I had yogurt or when I had peanut butter that I would have to pull over my car and be like doubled over in pain. And my gastro would be like, no, there's just no way that food is connected. It's just a syndrome. You just are going to have it for life. You just need to take your medication and food is not a part of it. Nutrition doesn't matter. And I was told that over and over again, that nutrition doesn't matter. And my symptoms only started to get worse. I started to get not just the cysts, but I started to get really swollen lymph nodes under my armpits and in my groin. And I'm reading all these symptoms on Google about how severe that can be. And I'm going back to my doctor and I'm saying, hey, I have these swollen lymph nodes. I have all these symptoms. And one of my doctors said to me, you probably have an autoimmune disease, but it won't show up in your blood work for another eight to 10 years. So we're just going to have to wait to diagnose you. And I was so frustrated with the type of answers that I was getting from these doctors that I trusted and that I knew wanted to do good and wanted to help me, but they just didn't have a, again, holistic paradigm in which to see the body in the way where all of these different aspects are talking to each other and there's a root cause and food can help you heal. Like that was just not a thing in conventional medicine and still isn't unless someone is um, more trained in integrative medicine. So... I entered the pre-med program at my college that I got accepted to. I went to Fordham University and I decided to go pre-med so that I could go into the medical field and hopefully figure this stuff out for myself. And as I went through my first year, which I'm very grateful for because I, I still love the sciences and those classes were really helpful, especially my statistics class and showing me how to read studies, how to understand poor versus you know excellent study design quality of a study, validity of data. It was great to understand um, how to read science. Um, so I'm glad that I did that first year of pre-med. But my health issues got so much worse that year because of the stress of all of those classes. And I continued to have zero answers from my team of doctors. And I realized, you know what? I need to really take this into my own hands. And one day I ran out of my chemistry class and I sat in my car and I went on Yelp and I typed in like, Chinese herbalist, like acupuncturist, because I had seen all these signs in my um, neighborhood for like acupuncturists and herbalists and yada yada. So I was like, why don't I go try something totally nuts? My family had never been into alternative medicine or herbs or acupuncture. It was very foreign to what I had known. I used to almost like hear my family like make fun of that in a sense. And this was like 2011. And I 
drove to this Chinese acupuncturist and I went into his office. And at that time, I was having a really bad health flare where my liver enzymes were off the charts. And my doctor, again, didn't know why. He said, this is probably related to your unknown autoimmune disease. And I walked in and I showed the guy my tongue. And he immediately said, oh my God, your liver has so much heat when he looked at my tongue. And I'm like, wait, I just got my lab work back. Yeah, my liver enzymes are really high. How did you know there was something wrong with my liver by looking at my tongue? And um, he's like, yeah, no, that's not good. You have all this heat in your liver. He's like, and your gut, your stomach. He's like, you have some infections in your stomach. You have a fungal overgrowth. You have perhaps some parasites, bacteria. He's like, you have all of this, all of these overgrowths in your stomach. And I was like, yeah, I have a lot of stomach issues. What do you mean I have overgrowths and parasites? Like I've done stool tests. They've said that they're negative. They've said that there's nothing wrong with my stomach. And he's like, oh yeah, no, you have a total imbalance there. So I was amazed that this man could look at my tongue and know what was going on with me in his own paradigm and terms. And he had me leave with some different herbs to take at this time, diluted in cranberry juice and do this and that. And I took those herbs for a full week. And at the end of that week, my red and angry, painful cysts on my back started to just a little bit calm down, be not as red and flatten a bit. My face started to just like very slowly clear up. I could just tell that there was some movement and improvement. And I was able to experience relief in my IBS symptoms for the first time from those herbs. Whoa. And I was convinced I was a believer. And so I was like, okay, this is the way to go. I finished out that year. And then I switched my major to psychology because I was still interested in mental health and how perhaps nutrition and things could impact that. And um, I completed my degree separately. And then I went on to herb school. I found a, a school in Brooklyn, Arborvitae School of Traditional Herbalism. And I decided to study traditional herbalism and learn why on earth those herbs were working so well and like how he knew what he knew. And I started a blog along the way to kind of just catalog my journey and my learnings and what was working for me. And it really took off. Before we even dive into all the health stuff, because I have so many freaking questions for you, (laughs) just that kind of career switch alone. I know that you were going pre-med route and then you very quickly went into psychology, which is interesting, and then went a little bit deeper to become you know an herbalist. What was that like for you? Was that an easy switch to make? Or, you know, I know yeah. a lot of people listening do make that like very weird transition that they did not expect in their career. What was that like? I think it was very easy for me because I was so disillusioned at that point by, again, the paradigm in which Western medicine was operating. And I think I've certainly come back, you know, the pendulum swings one way to the extreme, then the other way to the extreme, then back to the middle. So very disillusioned with Western medicine at the time. Now I'm much more in the middle where, of course, I'm beyond grateful for Western medicine and antibiotics and just modern advancements in the scientific method. And I think that Western and traditional medicine work best together. But at the time I was very angry. I was really angry that I you know, had these authoritative figures telling me that nothing is wrong with you. Just keep taking your medication. Food is not connected. Your lived experience is not valid simply because that's not what I was taught or not the way that I was taught to think. And I felt so unheard that I was so drawn to the world of possibility that was available in holistic and traditional medicine where the body is really your guide and you are following the path and the dots of your symptoms rather than following a textbook that's totally unrelated to the body. 
So it made a lot of sense for me to switch careers that way. And I always had an interest in psychology regardless because so many of my health struggles were, again, mental health struggles growing up. And I wanted to ensure that I had a background as well in mental health and psychology so that I could weave that into whatever I was going to do with physical health. I always wanted to kind of be able to help people and help myself with both. And it turned out to be an amazing experience because through getting my psychology degree, I was able to learn so many useful things for being a human, like our attachment styles as children and how that plays into our adult relationships. And you know, just like all of these things that I think humans should know so that they can be more self-aware of their behavior and communication styles and why they react the way they do when there's conflict. It just it helped me a lot as a human being. And now it's helping me even more so because in my philosophy and the way that I practice holistic medicine now, so much of what I focus on is nervous system and emotional and relational health. I think that that is really so much the foundation of our issues. And there's a reason why studies show that childhood trauma and adverse childhood experiences or ACEs are such excellent predictors of chronic illness and autoimmune disease because the things that happen to us in life and our trauma and experiences and pain and the way that our nervous systems become wired, the way that we speak to ourselves, the way that we engage in relationships with others, that matters so much for our physical health. You have to get to the root of that when you're healing any sort of physical illness as a huge part of it. I don't even know like the science behind it that you do, but I'm such a big believer that like, to me, it just makes sense when you're happy and you're fulfilled and you have safe relationships, your body can feel safe. It can flourish. It it has like a reason to want to keep living because it feels happy. You know, if you feel that in, in your cells, can you explain like the science behind it or how you understand it of why it matters so much, your relationships, your stress levels, your happiness? Why does that impact physical health for people out there who kind of are a little skeptical of that idea? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, in looking at it from this biological like feedback loop that we have in our bodies, your brain's perceived stress is the most important signal that you have. So your brain perceives stress in our hypothalamus. And one person could, you know, look at a bee flying around them and say, "Oh, that's such a beautiful bee." And another person could look at a bee flying around them and go into total alarm mode and be terrified and perceive that bee as a huge stressor, right? And so thus their adrenals are going to start producing cortisol and adrenaline and stress hormones and they're going to get really freaked out and all of their blood is going to move from their stomach into their limbs so that they can run away from that bee. So the way that our brain perceives stressors has a very pronounced physical result and effect. And the same goes for all types of life stressors that may mean a lot to one person and not a lot to another person. So what happens is the hypothalamus talks to the pituitary gland and says, hey, there's this big stressor. And then the pituitary gland talks to the adrenal glands, which produce our stress hormones. And then the adrenal glands talk to the ovaries and the ovaries talk to the thyroid. So it's the HPAOT axis. And so when you look at it that way, your brain is what's telling all of the rest of your organs and glands what to do. So a hormone imbalance that's essentially happening in your ovaries is not an ovarian or reproductive issue necessarily or solely, right? It's that your brain is telling your ovaries what to do because there is a state of stress externally that we now need to adapt to. 
So your brain is telling your ovaries to up or down regulate hormones, which is creating a hormonal imbalance. Or it's telling your thyroid, hey, we need to conserve our energy right now. There's a huge stressor. So we need to upregulate TSH and downregulate the production of T3 or T4. And so then we have these very real issues like a hormone imbalance or like hypothyroidism or sluggish thyroid function. And they're coming from stress. And so simply learning how to be with discomfort and stress and conflict and how to feel safe in your body when something does set you off and is a trigger that reminds you of an unsafe situation in your childhood, learning how to communicate more effectively with other people and feel safer in your relationships changes your organs and your glands. In another way, there's also, you know, we hear about the gut brain axis and how serotonin is made in the gut and affects your brain and the gut skin axis and all of these things because we're told that all disease starts in the gut, which I think is very valid. A lot of diseases due to gut dysbiosis and microbiome imbalances. But we're forgetting that there's also a brain gut axis. Again, just like there's the brain ovarian axis, there's a brain gut axis. And so our brain is also telling our gut and our digestive system what to do. And when you are in fight or flight mode all the time, and when you've always been that way since childhood, and when you've learned to thrive in chaos and stress, and you actually feel uncomfortable when things are good, your body is constantly in sympathetic dominance where you're always in fight or flight or fight or freeze or whatever your personal response is, and you're not in rest and digest mode. So how would you be able to properly digest your food after a meal? How would you be able to eliminate your food and have consistent bowel movements in order to prevent gut infections and gut dysbiosis if your body never learned how to feel safe when things are good and you've never learned how to relax or just be. You've just learned how to do or protect yourself or be on high alert and hypervigilance your whole life. So I think so much it goes back to the nervous system. And that is where we really should be educating people and giving people tools and like learning this in school. And, and yet none of us are taught how to self-soothe and regulate our nervous systems or how to be in healthy relationships and how to communicate when conflict comes up. It's not a learned skill. It makes so much sense. And it's wild to me that doctors are not asking, well, what's your relationships like? You know, like how stressed are you at work? You know, that we're not having those conversations with our doctors because it is such a huge piece of the conversation. And you're validating me so much right now, Olivia, because like, I think this was like eight years ago. I've always had like really bad periods my whole life. I, but I had this like one little flare up where I was getting like all this like breakthrough bleeding and random bleeding. And I knew in my gut, pun intended, in my gut, I knew that it had to do with stress. I was super stressed out. I was having like a lot of anxiety and I knew it. And I went to my doctor who we couldn't find an answer. And I, I will never forget saying, I really think this has something to do with like the anxiety I've been having. And what she said to me was not like, oh yeah, maybe go to a therapist. She said, no, it doesn't have anything to do with stress. You, you know, and again, I don't blame the doctors. Their, their job is to be treating like very huge things that need medication. Their job is maybe not as much of the, the chronic healing and root cause. So I don't blame the doctors for this at all. I want to make that clear. But I received so much validation later in my life when I started realizing how important the nervous system was, how much it impacted, especially as like a woman, like a reproductive cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I mean, you even look at the pandemic as an example. And 
during that extremely stressful time where many of us lost our jobs, we're isolated, we're unsure of our health, our future, our parents' health and safety. How many women lost their period, had you know irregular cycles, more painful cycles? There was this epidemic essentially of period issues during the pandemic. It's documented. There's so, so many articles about it. That is a very real effect of stress and not feeling safe in the world and one's body. And so many women can even trace their chronic menstrual cycle issues back to an event, you know, when I was 13, I started having really painful periods or 16. And oftentimes there's something that happened that year, a a divorce in terms of their parents, um, you know, like a major traumatic event, whatever it is, you can often trace it back to a trauma, a major life event that is now kind of stored in the body and is still creating nervous system dysfunction and a lack of safety. And so of course, yeah, when there's a additional event that's making things so much worse, that is going to be exacerbated. Um, so I think that's where we really have to start digging with people. And I think that it's a much better place for people to start than with even expensive, you know, fancy gadgets and supplements. And this is coming from someone who makes supplements, right? I love <laughs> herbs and supplements, but they're great tools. But at the same time, I think that people can get so much more um, bang for their buck and their time and their energy by learning how to connect and be with themselves and learning how to experience and validate and process the really difficult things that all of us hold on to and live with on a daily basis. Everyone always talks about like mental health being very separate from physical health, but it's it is one and the same. You can't have one without the other, really. You know, so that it makes so much sense to me just logically. So when you were going through your healing journey and you were healing all of these chronic symptoms, was this a big piece of it? Like I, I'm curious to know what what you did that people listening that are having similar symptoms, having so many chronic issues, because I know we're all kind of dealing with some kind of chronic thing here and there, but what you did to heal that. Yeah, it's so hard to say because it's such a it's been such a long road for me. You know, I started to, you know, dive into these issues 10 or 11 years ago and take the holistic route, and I've done so many different things in those 10 or 11 years that have contributed to the success of my physical and mental health now. And I would say a big part of that was therapy. I've been in therapy for a very very long time and what therapy looked like in the beginning where I was still sort of just continuing to talk about and like resurface the issues rather than what therapy looks like now where I've connected with therapists that are more somatically based and help you get into your body and actually process and move through the event rather than just talking about it over and over again. That's been immensely helpful for me. Um, And just the tools that I've learned in therapy, the self-regulation tools like breath work and journaling and exercises like writing letters to myself, my inner child or from my inner mother. So that's been immensely helpful. Other things that have been helpful are, of course, utilizing herbs to help my body recover from the various digestive and nervous system issues that I had. So anything from using herbs to correct the gut dysbiosis that I very much did have because of years of emotional trauma, antibiotics, standard American diet, et cetera. You know, once all of that happens, you do have to correct your gut terrain, right? And kill off the overgrowths that may be present as well as encourage healthy and diverse flora to thrive in your gut so that you can replace the bad bugs with probiotics. So I use plenty of antimicrobial herbs on my journey to kill off SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, to kill off some parasitic infections that I had. So I did many 
years of gut healing and I had to eliminate certain foods for years at a time. I didn't eat dairy for years because it was still a trigger to me as I was battling these overgrowths. I can now eat it again now that my gut is clear. So yeah, it was like a mix of herbs and elimination diets. I also utilized Nervine, so um, nervous system regulating and soothing herbs to help me create and cultivate and practice that safety in my body and also to help me get the sleep that I so desperately needed coming from a lifetime of fight or flight mode where I couldn't relax and get proper sleep. Sleep is so key and something that so many people struggle with. So herbs were really helpful for me there. And then again, a lot of body work. You know, I think my response to my version of, you know, childhood trauma that I think we all have in different ways was the fight or freeze response or the fight or like flee response. Everyone has like a fight or flight, yada, yada, like a different response. But I had a lot of a fight or freeze response. So I was not only very sedentary for many years, but I also was very uncomfortable in my body and like being touched. And so massage therapy was actually really helpful for me. I can't tell you how many times I had emotional releases and cried in massage therapy. And I think helped to get a lot of tension and stuck emotions out of my body. And also exercise, you know, just actually learning. Not only did exercise give me immense benefits in in terms of reversing a lot of inflammation and metabolic dysfunction, but also exercise taught me how to be in my physical body and be present and connect my mind to my muscles and feel safe moving my physical vessel. And it helped to build my self-esteem and teaching me that I can do really difficult, challenging things. So it helped me to prepare for the inevitable pain and challenging facets of life that will always come because pain is the nature of the human experience. And acupuncture really helped me. Um, you know, there's, there's just like dietary changes, you know, incorporating an increase of fiber and protein. There's so many things. Like I, I hope to soon write a book on what I've done and, and all of the helpful things. But I, I just did a lot of things little by little over the years and would see different practitioners and would try this and see what felt good in my body and landed on the modalities that really worked for me. I know it's so hard because you've, this has been like many, many years of a, of a long process. And I need you to write a book, Olivia. Like I would write that in a heartbeat. So please write a book. But I, it sounds like what a lot of this is coming back to is that you were training your body to feel safe. You know, whether it was like the foods you're eating, like you're avoiding the certain foods that are causing inflammation because you're teaching your body to feel safe. You're doing the emotional work to teach your body to feel safe. And I think that you're pinpointing like childhood trauma, whatever that looks like as a root cause for a lot of people's chronic illness, which by the way, like I'm curious, is that where you feel like all the chronic illness is coming from? Like I, it, like all of us have period issue, gut issue, acne, you know, can't sleep. Like we all have these chronic conditions. Is that coming from a source of emotional stress or where do you see this explosion of chronic illness coming from? Yeah, I think emotional stress and just nervous system dysregulation is one of the root causes of chronic illness If you, when you're looking at the body holistically. And let's say maybe one of the... I usually have a nine pillar system, but I'm also thinking maybe it'll be 10 pillars because there is very well a genetic component, right? You can't always trace everything back to a root cause of poor sleep or trauma or et cetera. There's, there's, there is genetic components. There are things that are beyond our control. But when we're looking at things that are in our control... Nervous system dysregulation is one of them, but there's also so many other factors. So when I'm looking at someone that has chronic illness, I'm going to sort of do an audit of my nine pillars. So 
One is nourishment. Like, how are you actually nourishing your body? Not only is that your relationship with and attitude towards food and how frequently and freely you are nourishing yourself. You know, a lot of women with period issues I find do not eat breakfast or skip meals or do not eat enough or enough protein and have a a very difficult relationship with food. So even just the attitude around our nourishment and our deservingness of nourishment is big. But I'm also talking about deficiencies and micronutrients, macronutrients, omegas, B vitamins, uh, you know, the B complex vitamins, iron, vitamin A, D, and macronutrients like protein that women aren't eating enough of. So nourishment and deficiencies is a big one. There's so many studies showing that different deficiencies, whether that's vitamin D or omegas or magnesium, are related to various chronic and autoimmune diseases. So that's something you always have to cover. I also look at exposures. So you know we're in an increasingly, let's say, I like to say toxic environment or the world is toxic, but I do think we have an increasing number of toxicants in our environment, right? We have glyphosate being sprayed sometimes weekly in New York City parks. And that is not something that degrades or just goes away, that stays and builds up in our earth. We have pesticides, we have plastics that are now becoming microplastics that are being found in umbilical cords and babies' bodies. So there's a lot of toxicant exposures in our environment. And that's not to freak people out, um, but to just kind of help people understand that the world we're living in now is a very different world from where our ancestors lived. And so we have to also adapt to that. We have to reduce our exposures where we can to fragrances, phthalates, heavy metals, pesticides, etc. So that can look like just investing in a water filter as like your first low-hanging fruit because all of us drink a lot of water each day. How can you reduce your exposure there? Maybe slowly switching out some personal care products, maybe choosing to purchase organic from the farmer's market rather than conventional produce where you can... And then also supporting our body and being able to eliminate some of those exposures. So I I love to support liver detoxification pathways. I think detox is a very gimmicky word nowadays. And yes, your body has the organs that it needs to detox. However, your liver detoxification pathways require very specific nutrients to function optimally. So you can absolutely support your liver detoxification pathways with nutrients and herbs. And I think that's something all of us need to do in our world. So number three is blood sugar dysregulation. I always look at someone's blood sugar because more often than not, even people who have quote normal blood sugar levels are experiencing a bit of a blood sugar roller coaster throughout the day where they're having highs and lows, they're getting hangry, they're eating quick sources of carbs, like an iced coffee with caffeine and vanilla syrup on an empty stomach without having any source of protein or fat to help blunt the impact of those carbohydrates on our blood glucose. And so people are getting quick rushes of energy and then they're getting dips in energy and mood. They're getting hangry. They're experiencing stress and inflammation when that blood sugar drops. So just reducing that stressor of blood sugar dysregulation can be huge in reducing your overall perceived stress load. Um, Number four is looking at your gut and oral microbiome. So taking care of your mouth is actually really important because it seeds your gut. So oftentimes I'll, I'll help people create a better oral care routine. I think that's very important. I love dentists. Um, And also looking at the gut microbiome. So if someone has a history of digestive issues, perhaps doing some gut testing with a practitioner like a GI map test, or just looking at optimizing digestion with herbal support, as well as correcting constipation, just that can go a long way. 
Number five is movement, muscle, and body composition. So making sure that someone is not only moving in a way that feels good for them, but is also optimizing their muscle health and their body composition to further reduce inflammation. Muscle is very important. It's our most metabolically active tissue. It's where our body wants to store the carbohydrates that we eat. Then I look at sunlight exposure and circadian rhythm as well as someone's sleep quality and quantity because that's all related. Sleep is so key for repair. I look at someone's social connection, their sense of community and belonging and how they can strengthen that because studies show that that is extremely important for our actual inflammation levels. You can change your inflammatory cytokines by connecting with people more, even if it's people at your local coffee shop that you're saying hi to. It's really amazing. Then number eight is the chronic stress management and nervous system regulation. So building tools like breath work, getting someone out of fight or flight mode, seeing how that person can learn to self-regulate, journaling, yada, yada. And then number nine is someone's spiritual health. And that doesn't have to mean religion or even like new age spiritualism. It could just mean having something to believe in beyond oneself, having a sense of purpose and meaning, um, having a philosophy around life that someone connects with that helps them to catalog their life experience and draw meaning from it. Um, so I think that that's very important. So these are the the pillars that I look at in terms of chronic illness and the different factors that can be contributing to someone's symptoms and the lack of homeostasis in their body. Whoa. Okay. I have, <laughs> I have so many follow-up questions. First of all, first question, what, this is just like, there are so many details. I, I just am dying to know about these pillars. The first one, what is your oral routine? So it's really important to floss. <laughs> like it's really important. We hate can't stress that. it enough. It's <laughs> no, it's true. And you also want to floss before you brush because um, if you brush before you floss, you're kind of just kind of further pushing all of that stuff into your teeth versus like actually getting in those spaces, right? So you want to floss wow. first. Mm-hmm. So I like to water pick and floss. Sometimes if I'm really lazy, I'll just water pick because it is a water flosser. But the water flosser is nice to get the food particles, like the pieces of cilantro that are stuck in your teeth. And then the flosser is nice to actually get some of the plaque buildup and some of that like white stuff in between your teeth because you can use more force and actually scrape. So flossing is really important. Brushing, of course. And you can also add to that routine by oil pulling. I really, really like oil pulling. I think it's a great way to naturally whiten your teeth and also support the oral microbiome. And there's also certain foods that you can eat to support your oral microbiome. Unsweetened plain green tea is something that's amazing to swish with actually to keep your mouth clean throughout the day. So sometimes I'll swish with plain unsweetened green tea. Yeah. And just also eating a, a diet that's lower in processed foods, of course, and lower in I'm not going to say like refine. I don't think all sugar is bad. I think sugars can be a very healthy part of your diet if it's in combination with protein and fat or like eaten after a meal. As long as you're not eating a whole bunch of sugar on its own, it's fine. But, you know, limiting, like having a, a moderate amount of sugar in your diet and eating more whole foods as well as fiber rich foods, antioxidant rich foods can be really beneficial for your oral microbiome. I know that's maybe one that like people overlook a lot is like, just like, we know we need to brush our teeth and like we go to the dentist, whatever, but people overlook that as being such a critical part. Like it's interesting that it's one of your pillars because mm-hmm. that's how essential it is to the health of your overall body. So I, I think that that one's really important. And I'm curious a little bit about herbalism now. Like I, mm-hmm. I know we've been, you've touched on so much good stuff. 
But I would love for you to speak on herbalism a little bit more. How does it work both like the biochemical piece and also the energetic piece? And like for people who have no idea what that means, what is herbalism? Yeah. So herbalism is really the way in which humans treated, healed, and nourished themselves for thousands and thousands of years. It really was our original medicine system. And it is also very much our birthright. All of us come from different cultural backgrounds and lineages. And all of us had ancestors who interacted with the herbs and plants around them that were a part of their culture and their life and their belief system. And so even though we don't have that same relationship with plants today, it's still very much within us. And we are nature just as much as plants are. I think humans, it's very fun for us to see ourselves as other and you know, we are the dominant species and whatnot. But you know, the same way that the plants open up in response to the sun so that they can start to photosynthesize and the same way that the birds chirp in the morning in response to the sun, we also wake up in response to that same sun. We all respond to the same cues. We need nature and air and sunlight just as much as the plants do. We're all the same thing. And we're going into the ground just like the plants are when we're done. And so herbalism is just reconnecting with your own nature and what you are and remembering that you are the plants. They've evolved with us for thousands of years and they've also evolved to support us just like they are supporting themselves. Just the way that mushrooms are so good at cleaning the earth of plastics and they're now looking at mushrooms as a way to deal with all of the waste and garbage that we humans have created. Mushrooms do that same thing for our bodies and help to clean our systems out in a really interesting way. So plants are our teachers and herbalism is the original language of medicine. And essentially, while becoming an herbalist, especially like a clinical herbalist, someone that's working with people one-on-one, that's definitely a process that you want to respect. You want to learn from elders, you know, enroll into a program where you can really do your due diligence and understand and respect the plants that you're working with, as well as understand contraindications and people who those plants might not be supportive for. But at-home herbalism is something that we can all do and something that we already do. So I'm sure many of us listening have ordered a chamomile tea at a restaurant or you know, used lemon, ginger, and onion at some point when we were sick to try to help our immune systems or a cough. That is kitchen herbalism, kitchen medicine. And that's something that all of us can connect with right now and feel empowered to connect with. So in terms of how herbalism works as a clinical herbalist, you would sort of do a similar audit to what I mentioned of like the pillars of someone's life. You'd really listen to that person and their symptoms and the way in which they're speaking and the areas of their life in which they need more foundational support, whether that's support for sleep so that they can have better and deeper restoration and more resilience in the face of stress, whether that's nervous system and stress support because they're reacting massively to small stressors in their life. So that might be a person who needs adaptogens. You might be dealing with a person who has immense anxiety that's preventing them from engaging with life or doing what they need to do. And so you can use Nervines with that person. It's really listening to that person's needs and matching the plant to the person, not necessarily the person to the plant. So for example, there might be 20 different nervine or nervous system calming herbs that someone can use for anxiety, ranging from chamomile to skullcap to passionflower. But there will be small indications in the way that someone is speaking and the way that they're describing their anxiety and the way that they're describing who they are and their personality as a human 
And once you know the plants deeply enough and know the way that they grow and their doctrine of signatures and their little quirks and the very highly specific indications, you can find the plant personality that's just in tune with that human's personality and match them to an ally that will be deeply supportive for their unique presentation of dysregulation. So as a clinical herbalist, it's a lot about listening. It's also a lot about understanding, yes, of course, the biochemical effects and how plants are interacting with us on a cellular level. And just being able to support that person holistically on that, again, foundational and root cause level, not on a symptom level, but on a root cause level of what are the areas that are preventing this person from healing? What, what's really blocking them from thriving as a human? When you say like when you healed, when you took the herbs and you felt a lot of healing in your body, is it because like those plants are like working to reduce the inflammation or like how is it, how is it actually working? like on that biochemical level? Yeah. I mean, a lot of plants reduce inflammation, of course, as part of what they're doing. But at the same time, like reducing inflammation, quote unquote, isn't necessarily the way to heal a chronic illness or symptom or picture, because if it was, everyone could just take turmeric and we'd all be good. Right. You know? So while plants do perhaps reduce inflammation by way of another mechanism that they're acting upon. So for example, let's say one of my root cause factors of my inflammation and anxiety and nervous system dysregulation and all of that was blood sugar dysregulation. I'm someone who always had very unstable blood sugar. Turned out that I was insulin resistant. I've taken a lot of steps to reverse that as well. But blood sugar dysregulation was a big issue for me. And what happens when you have a huge blood sugar spike in response to your food or in response to stress is that your body compensates for that stressor by upping your inflammatory response and your stress response. So part of my inflammation, my unique picture of inflammation was coming from blood sugar dysregulation. So by utilizing herbs that help to better control my blood sugar and prevent spikes, those herbs are you know, indirectly reducing my inflammation by tackling a root cause pillar that was contributing to my own dysfunction. But unless you understand the body and how to identify that root cause factor as an issue for this person and how to use the right herbs to stop that from happening, you will kind of just be throwing anti-inflammatory herbs into the wind and hoping that something sticks. So there's definitely a, a science and an art to it. And then for other people, for example, like when you look at how nervous system herbs work, when you look at how something like passion flower reduces anxiety, we're seeing that certain phytochemicals in the passion flower plant actually promote the release of GABA in the brain and reduce the release of glutamate, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So when we want to be calmer, we want more GABA and less glutamate. So sometimes plants are able to do that. I'm not going to look at someone and say, oh, you have anxiety. You need more GABA. Let me give you passion flower. I'm going to say, oh, you have looping thoughts that you can't get out of your mind at night. I know that passion flower is a plant that grows in these looping tendrils that wrap around fellow vines. And so this plant is telling us that it's a really great nervine specifically for looping thoughts. I'm going to match you to this plant and see if it helps your anxiety. And yes, on a biochemical level, it's probably boosting that person's GABA and doing a whole bunch of other things that we haven't discovered yet. But traditionally, I'm going to look at it in that sort of like mythical lens almost from traditional herbalism. Like we're so used to where it's like, okay, here's I have anxiety, I have a diagnosis, and then I get a pill to counteract that. 
And that's one way of doing things and fine, but that it's not necessarily that. It's kind of like understanding the patterns behind it, correlating the patterns with the plant. Like that's like so fascinating. I've never heard it explained like that before. And I think herbalism is something that, you know, a lot of people feel very overwhelmed by it. You know, it's kind of like this like out there concept that that's hard to grasp. And so I love the way that you explain it. It's actually something that's very innate to us. You know, it's it's something that's actually accessible. It doesn't have to be this very like complex out there thing. Obviously, that's why we have herbalists like you to help us find those very complex intricacies of which plants are actually going to treat things. But it's also just like we have access to use food and plants and herbs as medicine. And that's something that's innate. You know, it's something that's accessible. You can go to the store and buy mint for a few dollars and ease your bloat. You know, like that's a, a absolutely accessible universal concept that we all have access to. So I like that you explain it like it's our birthright and that it's not some kind of like far out there, you know, you need to go to someone special in order to get all these herbs that are hard to explain or hard to pronounce. Yeah. It's like, this is something yes. that's innate to us. We have access to. And it's so not about using like the next big herb trend. Like everyone's talking about berberine right now, which is derived from various oh God, yeah. alkaloid containing plants like Oregon grape root or um, coptis. There's many plants you can get berberine from. But everyone's talking about that now and it's you know this big trendy herb. There's never going to be this one magical herb that does everything for everyone. You don't need to go for the trendy or exotic herb that needs to be imported from India or this or that. Sometimes the best herbs for you are the ones that are growing in your immediate environment and that are growing seasonally because again, they're going to support you as a human through seasonal transitions that the plants also go through. So, you know, right now it's just been spring. We're about to head into summer, but it's still spring. And around me in the springtime, cleavers will start to pop up. And cleavers are this weed, essentially a very medicinal weed. We've totally bastardized weeds. But cleavers are this weed that um, grow in this, you know, upright fashion with a bunch of little um, spiky, thin leaves, and they stick to your shirt. That's how you know that they're cleavers. They have these little hairs on them, and if you throw a piece of cleavers at someone, it'll stick to their shirt. And cleavers are an excellent lymphatic and liver supportive alternative herb, which is an herb that helps your. Um, elimination organs eliminate waste more effectively. And so because we've been quite stagnant throughout the winter and we were probably a little bit more sedentary and we have a little bit more of like this waste buildup. And then when spring comes around, we start moving more, we start getting in the sun more. Our bodies sometimes need a little bit more liver and lymphatic support in the spring when we start to move. And so cleavers grow around us so that we as humans can use them as food and medicine and can make them into this beautiful cleavers tea or tincture to help our lymph clear some waste from the winter and have an easier transition into spring. Or again, that's why dandelions grow in the spring, even though people use glyphosate on them in their yards to kill these weeds. But dandelions are extremely, extremely medicinal. And a lot of women have um, a lot more difficult, painful, heavier periods in the springtime because it is this season of the liver traditionally when again, things start moving, but the body is a little stuck and needs some help transitioning into the season of movement. And because the liver has to process and eliminate a lot of our hormones, oftentimes utilizing liver herbs in the spring can help to prevent those heavier and more painful menstrual cycles that happen in April, May, June. So dandelion, dandelion root is an excellent herbal ally to utilize in the springtime to help ease your period symptoms and PMS and, and painful cramping. So 
nature's going to kind of give us these tools all around us and they're growing right in our backyards and we don't have to go and import them and buy them and we don't need the next biggest superfood. We just need to look to what's around us and learn how to use the medicine and the weeds that's growing in our yards. Whoa. I'm never going to look at a dandelion the same ever again. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to save you for later. I think people are quick to group traditions like herbalism, also Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine into like the woo-woo category. And that's a bigger conversation around like, you know, Western dominance and whitewashing, but I digress. Yeah. What do you say to that? Like, how can we find a place for herbalism in our Western medicine culture and strike a balance between the two? I mean, luckily, there are now so many studies looking at these botanicals that we've used traditionally for thousands of years. And so, again, looking at something like blood sugar regulation as an example, for thousands of years, we knew that certain herbs in Chinese medicine, let's say, like cinnamon, helped with something called kidney yang deficiency. And kidney yang deficiency in Chinese medicine has a lot of the same symptoms of metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, PCOS, et cetera. Now we have all of these studies that show that cinnamon is highly medicinal for PCOS and in fact is equivalent to the performance of metformin when taken in doses high enough around 1500 milligrams a day. And we're also seeing these other anti-diabetic effects of cinnamon. We're seeing the way that cinnamon is able to boost our levels of GLP-1, which is a endogenous hormone that is now in a synthetic format in Ozempic, right? We have our own built-in Ozempic. Cinnamon is able to boost that for us. So we have all of this modern day scientific validation in terms of how cinnamon is helping our metabolic activity and our processing of glucose and carbohydrates and thus helping the symptoms of insulin resistance and PCOS that Chinese medicine identified 3,000 years ago. They just called it kidney yang deficiency or called it whatever, a combination of liver chi stagnation and kidney yang deficiency. And so there's a lot of evidence in science if you know how to look for it. And I hope to continue to sort of bridge that gap. And in my writing and teaching and blog posts and all of that, um, kind of show people the connection between, hey, this was said thousands of years ago. Look at this new advancement that we have today that validates this. How cool is that? Here's how you can use this in your real life. So just kind of help to nudge people and open that door of like, this is real. This is this is how our ancestors survived and got us to this point. You know, we didn't just totally face life raw with no tools. We used herbs to help ourselves in the face of infections and skin issues and like things that could fester and absolutely kill us. You know, like a few thousand years ago, you got a little skin infection. And if you didn't treat it with a poultice of herbs, it could very well spread and kill you quite quickly because antibiotics didn't exist. So our ancestors survived because they used plants medicinally. They got us here. They should definitely be respected. And again, we're starting to have a little bit more scientific validity. But I also don't think that's entirely necessary when we're able to also preserve the system and you know carried on through practitioners like my teachers and myself and others that can show people that these things can be felt in your body. And I think that once people start to try herbal medicine, once they try a formula that helps them with anxiety or sleep or stress and they feel better, it's a gateway into showing them that plants are absolutely valid and a wonderful part of a healing regimen. And again, not to say that they're ever going to replace something like antibiotics that are needed when you have strep throat or when a skin infection does get to the point where you need an antibiotic. Modern medicine is incredible, especially in acute situations. And 
even for things like blood sugar dysregulation, when someone has type 2 diabetes and is not going to change their diet and is not going to exercise and build muscle and doesn't have the tools or the financial privilege or the time privilege in order to holistically work on their insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, of course they're going to need metformin or another miracle drug that we've invented and thank God that we have to help that person stay alive and prevent kidney damage and have normal blood sugar levels. Absolutely. But for someone who can change their diet and can utilize herbs and can sort of afford to go a different route, it's an amazing route to go down and can be equally as effective much of the time. It just takes a lot longer. It takes a lot more work, time, dedication, and again, privilege often to do so. So it's just looking at what's right for the individual. I'm not saying that 100% herbalism is right for everyone or 100% Western medicine is right for everyone. In my ideal world, they would work together and people would be able to use Western meds when they need to, and then maybe herbs for occasional sleeping or anxiety when they need to, just to avoid having maybe a pharmaceutical that's unnecessary in their regimen so that they can cut down on some side effects. I think that there's a place for both of them. You know, they they both can work together. And and people that often see herbalism or traditional Chinese medicine as something that is anti-Western medicine, I just think that's not true. You know, I think that there is a place for all of these and that they're all equally important to the well-being of our bodies and, and our ability to thrive. Yes, we need the science, we need validity, we need things studied, we need research done. But I also wish that our culture can kind of shift more into like, let's do research within ourselves. How does it feel in our bodies? Like maybe sometimes we don't always need, let me go to like the peer review journal all the time. Let me see how I feel. What's my body telling me? How am I reacting? And I wish we kind of had Mm -hmm. a little bit more of that mentality. But I, I think that the combination is what we need. We're going to wrap up with just very quick rapid fire questions. First one, Olivia, your go-to breakfast. I usually have two or three whole eggs and then about three egg whites, all hard boiled so that I can hit 30 grams of protein. And then I also have a nice big hunk of gluten-free sourdough toast with butter. So I have eggs and toast almost every morning. (laughs) Oh my God, that sounds so good. Okay. Best piece of advice you've ever received. It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. Oh, that's good. Okay. Last question, a book, podcast, documentary, song, any kind of tool or resource that changed your life? The Courage to be Disliked is the book that taught me how to take responsibility in my interpersonal relationships and have healthier relationships so that I could cultivate an even deeper sense of nervous system regulation and safety. It really changed my life. It's the greatest book on earth. It will challenge everything that you ever thought and make you realize that you really are in control of your future and current reality. Wow. I am ordering that now. I'm very convinced. Olivia, thank you so, so much. I feel like we need a part two because I have so many more questions that I'm dying to get into with you. But thank you so much for being here. Where can everyone find you and shop your products? Sure. So um, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. And you guys can find my brand's Instagram at at shoporganicolivia. My website is organiclivia.com. And then that's where our online apothecary is. I have over 30 formulas now, which is amazing. And we just released a formula called Glucobitters to help women with PCOS and who don't have PCOS regulate their blood sugar, especially when you're eating a very carb-heavy meal. And my podcast is called What's the Juice Podcast. And my personal Instagram is organic underscore Olivia. 
Amazing. And I could not recommend to people to go try her herbs and supplements. Like she kind of made everything super, super easy. It's all in like these nice little tinctures and teas that it just makes everything like so comprehensive. Olivia, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com